Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club. And we have just finished our last book of 2022, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Katie, what happened in this last section? And forewarning, fair warning, there will be spoilers about the ending coming. You're forewarned with a fair warning. And I can't believe it's our last book talk book of 2022. Okay, so in this last section, Elizabeth is on her TV show talking to the women at large. She's empowering all of these women to kind of take control of their life and also to begin rowing. And a ton of women show up to the rowing club the next morning. She also gets a few haters on the way, especially, I think, mostly from saying that she's atheist on national television in the 1960s. She's even getting some pretty serious death threats at this point. Of course, 630, her dog notices this and notices somebody in the audience who's not clapping, who's just staring straight ahead at Elizabeth, immediately is like, this is not good. He runs to the show to protect Elizabeth and somehow gets actually through security and on the show because this dog is amazing. And then he detects a homemade bomb and gives it to security. Somebody was trying to potentially kill Elizabeth. Later after this, Elizabeth agrees to do an interview with Life Magazine. She lets the man in. She tells him about her life, her science, Calvin, et cetera. And he, the article ends up being absolutely horrible. She's super upset, but it ends up being his editor who actually wrote that. This article is like life-alteringly bad. After the article comes out, Wakely comes to the house to check on Mad. And we find out that the reporter actually wrote another article, which is the real truth about how amazing Elizabeth is and is currently trying to get it published. Mad took it to Wakely when the reporter dropped it off and his sweet receptionist told Mad that it was her fault that her mom's not a chemist. After all of this drama, Elizabeth ends up quitting the show to follow her dreams, found Harriet and Walter, who are now together and in a relationship. We find out that Miss Frask, the crazy lady from the very beginning, if you'll remember, is now the head of HR at Hastings in the lab. The head of the Parker Foundation is also a woman who we find out is Calvin's biological mother. And this ends with Elizabeth inviting everybody to her house for supper at six. Oh, what a great summary. Thank you so much. I feel like there are so many things that happened in this last section. Summarizing that could have been an entire book. Yeah, so much happened in this last section. And yet it all felt like, sure, okay. I kind of was just like, yeah, she's going to end up back at Hastings and it all worked out. That is what I was saying. Someone asked me what I thought about the book the other day. Because like it is everywhere and it's so buzzy. And like, yes, it is. My opinion was that, I think I said this in our Instagram post as well. Every time I picked it up, I liked it. Like I like these characters. You know, I think that whatever. It's, the book is fine. Every time I pick it up, I wasn't like hating it. But every time I put it down, I was like, okay, is that the ending? Like there was no reason pulling me to pick it up again. I feel like each section kind of was like its own book and it always ends fine. Like throughout the book, everything is really just kind of fine. And if it's not, it's glossed over. So it just didn't feel like I had to keep reading it. It's funny. There's an article in DNA science called Lessons in Chemistry Tackles Sexism in Science but Perpetuates Nerd Stereotypes. <laughs> I do think that is one of the things that bugs me about it is that the... Yeah, there is this sense that people who are very intelligent are born that way. They are immediately from the gate this like otherworldly level of intelligence and that makes it seem very unattainable. 
I get, I like that Elizabeth has an impact on other women throughout the book. She's radicalizing them, inspiring them. But even the women that we see, they're like, oh, what was that boric acid composite mixture temperature thing? Like, they're just talking in a way that's not genuine or that seems so advanced and so like far removed and it kind of reinforces what we call in psychology this fixed mindset that science and intelligence are innate and they're fixed and there's nothing you can do about it whereas in many cases you can dramatically improve your expertise and skills and knowledge in an area I don't know if that's the exact stereotype that they don't like but that is one of the stereotypes that I don't I found difficult to relate to I see what you're saying about that stereotype. I think there's also a point to it, though, where somebody asks the women, like, the chemistry is your favorite part? And they're like, yes, because they're being taken seriously. So maybe there's some kind of thrill in learning and using those words and speaking a language that isn't normal, that makes them feel intelligent and empowered, et cetera. I think, I don't know if another stereotype might also be, and again, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with, like, the nerd stereotypes, <laughs> like, which ones might be perpetuated here. But I wonder if it's also that Elizabeth, in being incredibly intelligent, is also socially awkward she doesn't really know what's happening in the norms like as far as in society she doesn't really like other people she's not trying to like interact she's not super social I don't know if that is also another stereotype is like in order to be this intelligent you also have to not fit into society in other ways like it's kind of othering people who are that smart I don't know yeah I think also it's a little removed from the parts of science that are really interesting like over and over we get told that cooking is chemistry and it's all chemistry it's all the same as chemistry and you're like okay but like in what way can you tell us more about it like can you tell us the parts of abigenesis or abiogenesis that is interesting I don't even know what that word means so I feel like what in my mind, what makes a scientist a good scientist is curiosity and openness. And I, it doesn't seem like Elizabeth or Matt are like curious. They're like precocious and their intelligence is like pushed outwards rather than them being open to like observing the world, to talking to people, to like learning about things, to like understanding the world. And to me, that's sort of what the earmark of a great scientist is. It's not someone who's like, I can recite every textbook back to you and like throw knowledge out. It's someone who's like very receptive and porous to the world. I think that makes sense. And I think that's what Elizabeth is kind of pulling out of other people in teaching this chemistry course slash cooking show. But yeah, I think her ability to be curious about the world, we don't get. It is interesting in having read Carrie Soto is back, which we will get into in Talk Talk. but. That book is about tennis and I have never in my life watched a tennis match. Like I have literally zero concept of what tennis is. But in the book, there's so much information about it that at the end of it, I was like, I know what this means to run her on the baseline. I know what it means when it's 15 love. Like I am here. I've got the tennis at least a little bit enough to understand the plot. And I feel like the chemistry part of this is such a big, important piece of this plot and I feel like I have very little understanding of why it matters or what Elizabeth is curious about or what inspired her to want to study that or you know I think there's just so much about who Elizabeth is while she feels like a fully formed character we don't know a lot about how her brain works or why she's interested or does the things that she does and I think that goes for the science part of it but also for the societal norms part of it 
Yeah, I agree. I feel badly because I don't think either of us really like that this book that much. So it's tough because we would love to have someone who could vouch for the book. Um, I mean, it's a great story. I do like that in the end, she's kind of given back her rightful place at Hastings. It seems like the bad people are punished. It's also a great twist that the head of that foundation was her husband's mom, Calvin's mom, which is like a great twist. And then the woman of this amazing, the head of this great foundation is a woman. It's like another great, oh, women are everywhere. Brilliant, talented women are everywhere. Um, And then she gets like brought back into Elizabeth's life. That's nice. But again, it's like, that's not the central tension I don't know what the central tension of the book is. I think this is what we've come back to. It's like, is the problem that she has an amazing, hugely successful television show? That's a problem? Because it's not what she wants. I agree. I think it's like there's not enough tension. Um, I think the book was, like I said, every time I picked it up, I feel like it was lovely to read. It's very atmospheric, as we talked about before. I feel like I knew these characters. I think Matt is hilarious. I think there's some good gems inside the book and I liked it, but I did not love it. And I think the two things for me are that there's too much going on, right? There's nothing pulling me through. I think any one of these plot lines, her and Calvin and her struggling to get her work notice, like the bomb threat and her quitting the job, the love stories, the long lost pen pal and like the funding of this orphanage, like All of these could have been a biological mom, right? They could have been their own stories and given enough time, like screen time and enough like depth to them could have like pulled this book through. But I feel like they're all kind of like, and here's another story. That's like another part of the plot. And you're like, okay, what? But you don't know again, what that central main issue is because there are so many tiny issues and all those issues are pretty well resolved throughout. So an issue comes up, but then it's resolved in the way that we want it to be resolved. You know, Elizabeth, comes out of it whatever it is as awful as it is fine and so like every chapter there's like here's some dramatic thing there's a bomb but of course 630 found it here's some dramatic thing that happened but of course it's okay now and so it feels very like as soon as I put it down I'm like I don't need to pick it back up I also think the thing that the second part of it is I think it is believable maybe that women had thoughts that you know they didn't have equal rights or they deserved more power it was unfair how they were treated but I think the part you know, and if you don't want to adapt to society's norms, I think there are people like that, like I said before, in every generation who are like, no, this is dumb. So I think that that is fair, maybe to say. I think where I get feeling like it's a little bit unbelievable is when she convinces all the women in the audience to also say, fuck it, we got it, you're right. Like, let's start rowing, let's go to school. All their husbands are just all of a sudden totally fine with them leaving the house at 5.30 a.m., and this time they probably had kids. They were probably, you know, they probably were housewives just leaving and starting to go rowing. They're going back to school. They're doing all the things. And it's like, she's mobilized an entire generation of women. Not really, but like this, I mean, this huge group of women that she has mobilized through her cooking show at a time when like, would that have, would a character of her have done that? I don't know. And so it feels a little bit unbelievable that she has done, she's gotten that far with her beliefs. It's funny that you say that because that was one of the parts of the book that I did like is her impact on other women. Because I do think sometimes you need to see what you could be in your image in order to imagine yourself there. And I think to have someone explain to you, of course you could do it. Why not? Like, actually, rowing is great and you should try it for these reasons and women would be really good at it. It's like sometimes you just need someone to show you that 
way and that path and that that's an option and then like the path can unfold for you um, or you can see yourself in a new way that you hadn't before but yeah I think our central issue is like how does she have such progressive views that we agree with you know in the 1950s without a real community to help her without a feminist education about these issues I just think we usually take the status quo as a status quo without a lot of like examination or effort to question it they will just stay the way it is that's how the status quo works I think the empowering other women part is important as well and I agree sometimes when someone shows you the possibility like wait a minute I could do it I think my thing is like societal norms do not apply to these women they no longer need to be their husbands just pick up the slack in the morning they're like no worries babe I'll get the kids ready please in the 1950s like I'm just like did that happen maybe it did and I feel like if that was in today's world and someone was like we should all start rowing and then hundreds of women show up the next day like we would assume our partners would do that right like it makes sense I guess that's my only thing it's like sometimes the historical context feels a little bit interesting in how it works but overall I thought the book was good I think that it has some gems to pull out of it. I think that a lot of the characters are very lovable. So what do you think your overall rating of it is? Or what did you overall think about the book? Not good, Katie. My overall <laughs> rating would be like oh, a two. I thought it was fine. I honestly don't think I would have kept reading it if it wasn't for the podcast because I found it like incredibly predictable. Like it's all going to work out. I don't know. I just... I wasn't like motivated to find out what happens because the entire time she was fine. And I feel like that the actual tension is that like she lost the love of her life, but somehow that gets like lost in all of this other plot that's happening. And in a very small world where sure there's like a lot of plot happening, but there's essentially five characters who somehow are all perfectly overlapping. It was just like a little too, I don't know. I, as a scientist, it's really funny to like not relate to Elizabeth, but I just really didn't relate to her and I didn't really feel motivated to find out what happened. And I'm sorry that I'm not more positive. I I do feel really bad that we're not more positive. Like I want to be like, Oh, give it a higher rating because I feel bad. And I think Elizabeth would hate that. So, um, I also feel like it's like a two or three. Like I felt like it was fine, but again, I don't think I would have kept reading it. And having read a couple of really good books recently, there's like something about it when you read something that's great and you want to keep reading it and you're rooting for that main character that this book is just missing. It's missing that like X factor. But like I said before, I think it would end up being a good movie maybe and could be kind of cute, but it's kind of just like biographical of a character who's fine, who's unrelatable. So I don't know. I would say I didn't love it either, but I think we've had some interesting conversations because of it. So maybe that's the silver lining. Okay, here's my other issue with it. The, the first sentence in the description of the book is that chemist Elizabeth Zott is not your average woman. In fact, Zott would be the first person to point out there's no such thing as an average woman. Okay, fine. But I feel like one of the issues of this book is that in order to get what you want, to be respected, to have power, you have to have such a high level of competence and intelligence to rise above your station as a woman. And I feel like, why? Like, why can't we be equals without having to be super geniuses? And like, that also never comes up. Like, I just feel like, 
I wish she was more of a flawed character, I guess. I wish she was more like us, which is, sure, I'm smart in some ways, and I'm a fucking idiot in other ways. And sure, I make good decisions one day and bad decisions the next. She's so bulletproof and insanely competent that, like, of course she's going to make it, but what does that mean for the rest of us? I agree. I think Elizabeth definitely has flaws. I don't think she recognizes them or works through them or is dealing with them. And I think the bulletproof part makes a lot of sense. Like that seems to me more accurate. She's basically just like nothing can stop her. I mean, not a bomb threat, not losing the love of her life, not having a baby, not knowing how to do it. Like nothing gets in her way and she doesn't really struggle with any of it for more than like a couple of sentences. And I just, I don't feel like women need to be insanely competent to be respected like I just don't think you have to have an extreme amount of intelligence to deserve like fair pay and an equal job like it's just I don't know why like I think we need exemplars to like push against the system but I don't like that like that's the only type of woman that we allow to succeed in the workplace is she not only has to be like as smart as Calvin but like even smarter essentially and I think the argument is probably just like that those are the women who are the trailblazers in each generation, right? Those ones who are pushing against the status quo because they are undeniably deserving of it and they pave the way for everybody else who's like closer to the average person who makes mistakes and has flaws. But it also seems like, again, the average women in her audience are just like, all right, me too. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I feel yeah. like we're, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. know. Okay. Wait, wait, two last small things. First thing um, no one would ever publish in science journal. It's just called science. So that's for all of you um, aspiring authors. You would just publish in science, period. Um, goals. Second, one of our listeners did message us to provide an alternative theory, which I really liked, which is, is it possible that Calvin, Mad, and even maybe Elizabeth are on the spectrum? And that explains part of why they sort of don't care about societal norms and also why they're hyper intelligent. And I will say my nephew is on the spectrum. I would have loved if that came into this book at all. I don't think Bonnie meant that to be an undertone. I think she should have been explicit if that's something that she was thinking about. That would have been like a great way to make Elizabeth maybe more relatable or more representative of a group of people who do have this like high level of intelligence um, and maybe some of the other characteristics that she has. But I'm not the perfect person to talk about this. I just wanted to bring that up as an alternative theory that one of our listeners brought up. I think it's a really good point. And maybe it's true. I mean, we don't know what Bonnie was thinking. And unfortunately, we don't get to talk to her and ask this time. But I do think it would have been great if she wanted to represent people with autism or people on the spectrum and could have done it in a little bit more of an overt way so we could see all the good and bad ways in which that might manifest and all the ways in which a person who is living and is on the spectrum or has autism in the 50s and 60s would have interacted with society. And that could have been like a cornerstone for us being able to understand Elizabeth more. But I don't know that it's since it's not overtly said if we if that's the assumption, but I think it's a good point. And I think we're all trying to understand a little bit more about how and why Elizabeth interacts with the world in the way that she does. Um, mm -hmm. Is that better? All right. I feel like we've talked a lot about our opinions of this book. And like I said, we didn't get to talk to Bonnie this time, but we are going to talk to my Noni in the next part of this episode. She is a 93 year old woman. She lives in Southern Ohio right now, and she was Elizabeth's age in the 50s and 60s. She's going to talk to us a little bit about um, her experience and the experience that she had um, 
being a woman in that time. So excited. She was very excited, very nervous to do the pod. Very cute. (laughs) Next week, we will have a special episode for you. And then the following week, we're going to read our next book club read. We'll start reading it. And our next book club read is Our Wives Under the Sea. So grab that book, maybe gift it to someone for Christmas. What What a a good idea. Do you want to gift it to me for Christmas? Perfect. Done. My name is Norma. I was in my 20s in the um, 50s. What year were you born? And I was born in 1929. And um, so in the 60s, I was in my 30s. And that's when I became a, a, a parent in my 30s. Before that, it... Um, in the 50s. I was married in 1953 and um, just honored my husband's um, work positions. Tell me more what that means. Well, he was in sales. And he, uh, out of college, he got a job with Owens Illinois Glass Company. And so <clears throat> we uh, were trained in Toledo, and we were assigned to Atlanta, Georgia. And he traveled throughout the South. And then we went to the Chicago area, and we were there for about 12 years. And then we came back to Columbus, where our home was. I want to know more what you what you mean when you say honoring his job. Like, what did that look like for you if, when he was kind of in sales? Does that mean you were kind of like you were at home or like what did kind of the day-to-day look like? Or when you say honoring his job, what does that mean to you? I followed wherever he was sent. Mm-hmm. I, I did work. And I, um, in Atlanta, Delta Airlines was just beginning to start. And we lived uh, close to an airport because um, my husband traveled through the southern area. And I got acquainted with um, the gals next door who um, were hostesses with the Delta Airlines. And also one of the gals next door was a trainer of the hostesses. Anyway, what happened was that um, uh, they were overwhelmed with getting rejection letters out to uh, people who had applied to be a hostess. And so I went over and typed all of the letters. Huh. Yeah. So I worked for Delta Airlines when it was just getting started. I kind of told you a little bit about what the book is about. So the main character of the book is incredibly smart. Like I said, she's a chemist and she's constantly baffled. Like she truly is just shocked all the time that women are not treated fairly, that women are not reading science books. She's confused why everyone's not reading science books because it's the basis for life. 
And it's what she bases kind of a lot of her thoughts on. So what do you think was the societal norm at this time? Do you know any, did you know any women who were in the science field officially or unofficially? Any women who wanted to be doctors or biologists or who were working in that as doctors or biologists in that time? Absolutely not. I did not know anyone like that. I think that the book is based on a mystical character for that time. (laughs) That was like one of my critiques of the book. So she's on stage a lot in this time in her cooking show, and she seems very open to dismissing societal norms, to talking. She's like, why don't women learn chemistry? You should be a heart surgeon. She also says that she's an atheist on stage. So I feel like she's going against a lot of what would have been acceptable. And so that was not. Is that your understanding as well? Like it's just mystical and not real? It seems to me that the author was basing the book on perhaps what her mother experienced. But she was updating it to the possibilities of the future. Do you feel like how women are viewed in society has changed since that time until now? Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, I'll give you this example. Um, I worked with a, not all women went to college, but I worked with a, a gal who was a college graduate and um, she was much more adventuresome than I was, but we would decide we wanted to go to the theater to leave for work and go to the theater. We had we went to a restaurant, but it was not acceptable for two women to go to a restaurant without a male escort. Did they let you in? So. Well, yes, we managed to do that, but it, with, you know, comments mm. or whistles. So when things like that would happen when you were out or when you were, when like obviously you're being treated unfairly or as a lesser, the lesser sex in that situation unfairly, did you all talk about that? And like in your small groups of friends, do you feel like, Like I think sometimes in our groups of friends now, we talk about how things are still not equitable or what we still need to work on as a society. Were people having those conversations that you knew or were you having those? No, that's just the way it was. Nope, I don't recall group conversations at all. Mm -mm. You were just out there and that's what happened and you just went on your way. Back in the... 30s and the 40s, when my mother was young, women stayed home. But my mother always worked. What did she do? Whatever, you know, five and dime store, um, whatever was available locally. And, um, but she was always a working woman. Even though, and I, so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents because both my parents were away during the daytime working. But 
that that's not what the majority of the community was doing and 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 okay let me add to that that the, the women don't did not gather together and and discuss what you are asking me about i mean it, it's just yeah. the way it was yeah i guess i'm thinking about how people saw doing the work around the house or keeping the house or, and I, I know that you worked a lot, but do you think in society in that time, do you think it's more valued now? Like being a person who's at home, keeping the home and raising the kids than it was at that time? Or do you think that men and people in society always saw that as kind of like a valuable part of a family? I don't know how to answer that because the thinking at, at the time in the fifties and sixties is so, so different than it is in the 20,000s, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's just no comparison. After World War II, and they had the GI benefit, and more men started going to college, and that also kind of evolved in that to be anybody, you had to go to college. College was a it was necessary. Yeah, it was necessary to really advance anywhere. And it used to be called for the women that they were going to get their MRS degree because they're going to meet a man and get married. So essentially in that, that's kind of how society was viewing women. Like you're going to college because you're going to go meet a man who's making something of himself. Yeah. So it was less common to be like a woman is going to college to be a doctor or a scientist or something, right? right? Yeah, that's a good way to express it. Did you see in this time men and women getting different types of education or being encouraged to get different types of education or to focus on different things? My friends who went to college went to be a teacher or they went to nursing school, or they just went for the experience. My upbringing was in a very small town, and none of the family had a college education. That was just unthinkable. It just wasn't possible. There wasn't money for it, and there wasn't encouragement for a woman to pursue a career. What do you think was the most common portrayal of women in the media? I know you asked me then, what did I mean by media? So on radio, on TV, do you remember seeing a lot of women or any that you admired in the newspaper or on the news or on the radio? The news was presented by men. I don't recall any cooking shows, not, not in the 60s. Okay. So in the book, she's also the main character is sexually assaulted at two of her jobs. So another main topic of the book is that the sexual assault or assault of women in the workplace. Do you remember hearing anything about that or have any, like how that would have been dealt with in that time? It was a silent happening. Should it have happened? I mean, you, you, you gals are progressing greatly. But it just wasn't thinkable, even in the 60s. Do you think 
technology and kind of the way we can communicate with each other instantly has helped to kind of empower women around the world, not even just here, but in general? Yeah, you can speak uh, firmly and intelligently and, um, yeah, women today are better prepared to speak about who they are because they um, they have unlimited uh, resources, either books or on your phone or classes or you, you have lots of, of ways of being a part of this trend. So your mom worked growing up, and so then you obviously worked as well for a lot until you became a stay-at-home mom. Do you think you encouraged that in Paige as well to be to go to college or to work, or do you think she just had kind of a different society in general was pushing women more so to go to college at her age? Yes, I think there was a, a more general push. And um, I don't know how to describe her, but she's she's always been her own... She will do what she feels she wants to do. She probably would have been very frustrated to have been me. Growing up in a country school where she could see she didn't want to be what the people around her were going to be. Okay, a couple of random questions. What invention do you think has had the biggest impact on your life? I'm laughing because I recently read that scientists are <laughs> experimenting and working toward being able to um, give men contraceptives that are can um, decrease the sperm count, but it's not like the surgery that option they have. And it's not like a condom. It's like a pill? It could be a pill. It could be a, a, a lotion. It could be... They're oh. working on it. I love that. Why do you think it's so important? <laughs> because it's the men that create all these babies. And they have the bazillion of sperm that they produce. Women have one egg, possibly two a month. Yeah, so it feels like it should be their responsibility a little bit to take some ownership of that. But I just read that, and it's, it's, the whole thing is 10 years away. But you I, think so? I yeah, that's, that's what the article said, but I, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but suckling about that. What do you think would have happened if somebody was like, it's the male's job to protect against having children in like the 50s or 60s? Like, do you think that they would have, like if this invention was happening then? Oh, no. Oh, no. Men, men were prime. They could do what they want. Do you think women are more equal citizens these days? I think a lot of women are, yes. It's a big energetic push to be equal. Okay. Thank you so much for being on here today. <laughs> okay. Did you have fun? Yeah, this was fun. <laughs> Talk, talk.
Katie, I know you have a very exciting book update for me. I do have a very exciting book update. Um, but first, I did finish the rom-com that I was reading before, Kisser Once for Me. And it was very cute if you want a cozy, Christmassy rom-com on a snow magical day. It was lovely. I really was like, I don't know how this is going to end. And that rarely happens for me in a rom-com. Obviously, I was like, it's going to be fine. But I was just like, how is this going to be fine? So it was very cute. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And then I read Carrie Soto is Back. Because I didn't want to read this book at first because I was like, I don't like tennis. And it sounds like Serena Williams. And I'm just like, is she copying that story of it? I don't know. And I was just like, I don't follow this. I like tennis in general. I don't know if I like the book. But I loved it. It was so good. I read it in two days. I was like, I cannot put this book down. I would have like four minutes before a meeting started and I would read five pages because I was like, I have to know what happens next. It was so good. And I feel like it just, the story was so well written. It does feel like you're reading a movie the whole time. I was like so invested in what happens. And it felt like towards the end, I was like, I don't know how they're going to end this because there are multiple ways in which the character could like learn something or this could be resolved in multiple endings in which could be like realistic and that would happen. So I loved it. I loved it. So good. My first Taylor Jenkins read book and I'm hooked. Yay. I will say it made me want to watch a tennis match. Yay. We can definitely watch tennis together. I love tennis. It seems like it might be, although sometimes they're like, these matches are three hours long. And I was like, really? Yeah, they're very long. They're very long. It's like and a the much men's, higher endurance The men's sport. will be like five, five and a half hours long. <clears throat> I know because that one man walks up to her and he's like, but women play three sets and not five, right? So it's like, you're yeah. not really comparably good. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this guy. Yeah, the men's versus women's tennis is a, it's a interesting dynamic. I just, she's kind of an unlikable character for most of the book, but you also feel very empathetic for her. Like you, I feel bad for her, but I'm also like, can you stop being such a bitch to everyone? But it is also just funny. And that guy just looks at her and he's like, it's not comparable. And she's like, I would literally beat you right now and wipe the floor. And she's just like ruthless. <laughs> she's a killer. I like her. I like that she is who she is. I think the book doesn't really comment too much on ambitious women or in this like competitiveness of women, but they definitely portray it really, really well. And yeah, Carrie's likable in her flaws. Even if I would be way too scared to ever talk to her. Yeah. She's extremely intimidating. I love Nikki Chan's character who does, does not give a shit. And she's like, listen, I can be your friend here. And then want to like murder you on the field and it's fine. Like, we're cool. It's okay. And she basically, like, forces Carrie to be her friend. And I feel like every bristly person has that one, like, bubble person who's like, you're going to be my friend anyways, and you're going to like it. And Carrie does end up liking it. Um, So good. I am currently reading When We Were Bright and Beautiful to discuss it with you and maybe a special guest. And I'm really liking it. I feel like I have a different take on it than you do, at least so far. But I'm dying to see where it goes. The only thing I remember about this book, so I'm going to have to go back through and flip through it. Not the only thing I remember. I mean, I remember a lot of the plot, honestly. Like, it is still stuck in my head. But I'm going to have to flip back through the book before we talk about it. Is that I really wanted to talk about it with somebody. Like, I just remember being like, okay, I have these thoughts and these feelings of, like, what I'm perceiving and my opinions of it. But when I get on Goodreads, people have a lot of thoughts about it. And I think it's one of those instances where I feel like I need to discuss it with 
people where I feel comfortable discussing it. So I can be like, am I wrong? Am I viewing this incorrectly? And like kind of grow in maybe what I think of it or maybe what I think of it is, is what everyone else thinks too. And we're in agreement. But I think it was one of those books where I was like, I need to discuss it with people to kind of finish formalizing what I think about it or to maybe understand the other perspectives on Goodreads and in the world about this book. So I'm excited to discuss it. Same. That's it. All right. There we go. That's it for me. I'm in my um, rom-com Christmas phase right now, so I'll be picking up another rom-com um, to read because it's the end of the year. I mean, is it a romance book or is it actually a romantic comedy book? Um, <laughs> I feel like it's like a women's fiction. Like The Kiss of Once for Me is like a romance. Like the romance is the underlying story where there's a lot of like family drama and like how do you deal with parents who don't accept you drama. So it's like not like it's just romance. I feel like when I say it's a romance book, people are like that's the only thing that's happening and it's like there's it's more depth than that. But then I feel like I say rom-com and that's not actually probably a descriptor either. I don't know what this new one I picked up. It's called The Heart Principle is. So I'm only 20 pages in. I'll let you know if it's a rom romance, rom-com, or women's fiction. Okay. I think like Georgia Clark reminds me of like sort of a rom-com where it's romantic, but it's also very funny. And there's like funny things that happen throughout it. And you're laughing yeah. at the characters and the situations and like the gaffes. Um, but then there's like straight romance books, which are more like spicy, sexy, drama-y. Right. So I feel like it fits more into something maybe that doesn't describe either of those. Like the Kisser ones for me, there's like a handful of sex scenes and they're not that like spicy. Like it was like, I'm just saying it's not like it's a romance book where it's like there's a lot of spicy sex scenes. There's only five sex scenes. It's not that many. (laughs) No, like two or three in the whole book, like a normal women's fiction book. Okay. Two sex scenes. I feel like, is that a lot? There's two sex scenes in Kiss It Once for me that I can remember. And a couple more kisses. I think usually women's fiction books, there's a love interest, but there is not usually an explicit sex scene. It's like, oh, they're kissing, and then, like, the light goes out. Like, there's no, like, then he touched me and threw me up against the wall, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know? Like, there's sex in Carrie Soto, but there's, you don't, you're not watching it essentially as the reader. Correct. That's you okay. just know what happened. That's a good point. So then is it automatically I feel like there's just gotta be some nuance in the romance genre because there's a difference between like reading like a Nicholas Sparks book where it's just like straight, that's the only central Love. tension. Yeah. And that's like the only thing that's happening. Then these books, it's like her finding her chosen family is the point of the book, but she does fall in love also. Does that make sense? I don't know. You gotta get so Georgia Clark back on the We need to ask her. To I need to read her new book. Us. There we go. There's a new book to read. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. Yay. Great. Now we have a plan. (laughs) One, two, three, break. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. interesting i feel like that's the one part that i didn't hate is the impact on other women because i think sometimes you do need to just see it's so loud is it (laughs) (laughs) like it's okay
Because I'm drinking fucking espresso and creamer only because I don't have any milk and it's Espresso? Espresso. But I was trying to like (laughs) enunciate. Sure. 